Welcome to another exciting episode of the A Dosage of Lindsay podcast. I am your host, Lindsay May. Welcome back, everyone. It's Wellness Wednesday over here at A Dosage of Lindsay. As you know, we're focusing on wellness in every area of our life. Today's segment is a part of a two-episode collection where I'm catching up and checking in with a good friend of mine, Chaplain Joe. He works on the front line in healthcare. He's a new dad and a jack of all trades. We're talking about everything from navigating the holidays and the pandemic, what's it like being a new father, and how to cope with grief and loss during the holiday season. Before we dive in, I want to give you all a heads up. Certain elements of this series can trigger some painful emotions, so I want you to ease into it and go at your own pace. Most importantly, I hope it brings peace, healing, and comfort in your life today. All right, let's get into it. Welcome, Joe, to the podcast. I am so excited that you're here. It's been a while. How, how's life been for you? How are you surviving this pandemic? Well, I'm surviving, borderline thriving with the help of my wife and son. I'm, I'm doing good. I, you know, they, they say in grief recovery, don't look for the meadow, look for the blade of grass. Mm. So don't be overwhelmed with everything in your day and what you have to do and what's unresolved, but look for that one thing to keep you going. So I've been putting one foot in front of the other um, for the last year, if you will. Um, the journey of being a father, um, during the third trimester, I began to experience paternal postpartum depression. Mm. So you couple that with the babe, the, the baby coming, um, it was, it was interesting right. by interesting. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was hard, but again, putting one foot in front of the other and just looking at the next thing I needed to do. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes that's easier said than done where we're trying to put our game face on and we're just trying to look straight ahead. But oftentimes reality does set in. Um, I want to just talk about a little bit, like, how does it feel being a father around the holidays, spending your first what, Thanksgiving, Christmas, mm-hmm. um, with your newborn, with your family that's growing? Well, two things. It's terrifying and it's joyous. Mm. Um, it's terrifying because you have this um, person that begins to look more and more like you every day and kind of you begin to see your mannerisms and um, you know, it begins to become a little bit more independent. Right. Um, so seeing myself and my son is beautiful, but at the same time, I'm seeing my, for lack of better word, my demise, because I'm sewing into him mm-hmm. so he can grow and flourish. Right. Like the uh, last week, he, he was having some issues with his digestion and, and, and gas. So he slept on me wow. all night. Yeah. From about 12 midnight, I took him till six in the morning to when I fed him. Mm-hmm. A couple intervals where I gave him, passed him off, but I couldn't sleep so he could rest. Right. 
And for me, that was a microcosm of fatherhood. Right. I'm like, I can take a step back and sacrifice so you can grow and nourish and develop. That's exciting. But at the same time, doing the work that I do with hospice, I see every year you get older, right. every year I get older, yeah. um, thinking about um, new beginnings for him is an ending for me. Hmm. And that is a, that's a tension. Right. Um, I believe it was T.S. Eliot or, or Frost that said for every end is a beginning and the end is where we must start from. Right. Just like a sunset is a new day. It's the end of one day and the beginning of another one. Parenthood. Hmm. Um, and the, the terrifying, terrifying part of it is the postpartum depression and the parallel process. Um, just like him, he'll be laughing one second and then in the next breath, he's crying. He don't know why. Same, same, same thing with me. One night I was changing him uh-huh. and the, the swaddle that we used was the swaddle that he came home in. And I was setting him down. And then I had a trigger right. of when I worked in the hospital and all the babies that I attended to that didn't make it was in that same swaddle. Wow. And I remember every baby wow. that I had to carry to the morgue. Yeah. And it, it, the questions come in your mind, right. you know, why me and all those things. So that, that is terrifying sometimes. Um, but it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, and around the holidays, when I'm interacting with him, I'm going to be smiling, Uh but you know, we, we had a miscarriage two years ago and it was right before the holidays. And I was very depressed. Um, I was crying in my sleep, having nightmares until I went to go see a therapist. So Thanksgiving last year, limped through it. Christmas, when I was with people, I was good. But then I would have to retreat to the room because I'm like, I I need to, I need to go detox. I need to go cry. Um, but with him, last Christmas was beautiful because we were anticipating him. Um, so this year, Thanksgiving, we're going to be with my wife's family. Right. Um, and then we're anticipating my father having another baby and celebrating the one-year um, birth, one-year-old birth of his child that was born last year. So it's life and hope and love. But there's going to be time during the day on both holidays where you hear a song and then you're triggered back to something that happened in 2008. Right. And I admire your strength, Joe, like, you know, because we've like known each other for a while. Our first time meeting formally um, was like in a situation where it was a mutual friend of ours. It was a friend that you've known for a lifetime. And it was someone that I was like their pastor and we were, you know, just down in, I remember it like it was yesterday down in like 
the cafeteria area and we were on the ropes. Like, we don't know what's about mm -hmm. to happen. Um, is this person going to make it if they're not? Um, so I think about like just the work that you do, how we even got connected. And it takes some strength to even lean into today to even to retell these stories, because I'm sure there are many triggers that are out there. There are many times where you're replaying those accounts of this could have been, you know, this situation or that situation. So I just want to affirm that, like, man, like how we connected, but then how you're telling your story, because it's not easy being in the holidays when there's someone that you loved for your whole life. And it's like that knee jerk reaction. You want to text them. You remember, like for me, it was my grandmother. My grandmother, the mm -hmm. glue that helped my family together. We would go to Philly every single year. And one thing about growing up in the church, we lived for those Sabbath dinners, right? So yeah. <laughs> we would have like those dinners, like at the end of like, they would do this thing called Messiah Sabbath at Ebenezer in Philly. And I mean, they're singing their hearts out all day long. And then we would gather at her house. She would have like the mac and cheese, the lamb, the mm. turkey. Um, she called them candy sweets, but she would have a full spread. And when she passed away, um, I think, you know, it hit hard for me because I would be there like helping toss the potato salad or cleaning the dishes and, you know, just being in the kitchen, being up her understudy in the kitchen as she just put this spread together. So. I don't know, like, you know, those triggers do come up. Um, Thanksgivings haven't been the same. Christmases haven't been the same. So I can definitely relate to you. Well, and two things that come to mind is when you tell your story, you hear your story mm. and you feel your story. So the more you do that, the less acute the pain that you'll feel. Um, and the reason why we feel pain is because we had joy. Right. You cannot, C.S. Lewis in his book, uh, A Grief Observed, mm. he said, you cannot have joy without having pain. Mm. And the more joy you experience in your life will, the, will equate to the more pain you feel when that um, person, place, or thing isn't there anymore. Right. Um, they say grief is the price of love. And there's no other way about it unless you're a sociopath and you don't feel, <laughs> which we don't want to, no. um, or you numb your pain so much right. where you, I don't think anyone is impassable no. where they don't feel emotion. Um, it's to do that that's usually the result of what we call complicated grief right. stuff that's suppressed right. and pushed back and pushed down right. that can um, harm your ability to feel. Mm. And that can be not just toxic, right. but that can have hmm. devastating effects on your health. Um, I imagine, and forgive me for cutting you off, but I imagine a lot of people, because when we talk about grief and loss, sometimes we may think it may be just like losing someone who is deceased. 
but we're talking about like relationships, like people may go through treatment for cancer and they're losing their identity, maybe through Mm -hmm. chemo, like their hair is lost or Mm -hmm. relationships, um, you name it. Like, so that isn't just only to one form of grieving and losing something, but I feel like it's across the board. Like people experience these complex emotions of grief and loss. And sometimes they don't even know what to do with it. They don't know what to do. I didn't know what to do at the time my grandmother passed away. I just, it was like my legs, like were as if like, it was like jello. And it's like someone pulled a rug from under me. And as much as I didn't Mm -hmm. want to cry, I had to cry because I never experienced death in this way before. So the only thing that I could do was just like release. And I'm not a crier, you know? Um, And I don't know why I stopped crying. I think it was my brother at the basketball court. Um, I got fouled and I had a a nasty little mouth injury. And he said, you better not cry. And I think since that day, he shook me to stop crying. But yeah, like I had to cry. I had to let it out. Well, when when clouds get too heavy with, condensation it rains and there are some people um crying is a gift um i i I collect a lot of sayings over the years with hospice and with patients um someone told me if you don't have a place, if you suppress your sadness, you won't have a place for your happiness to dock. Mm. Um, The same way that joy um, is the flip side of pain, when you process that pain and clear it out through different activities, you know, grief is the outward expression of, of mourning is the outward expression of grief. And, you know, if you look at a picture or if you hear a song or if you journal, however you remember someone, um, you're 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 creating a space for more. Mm. Um, That's the beautiful thing about life. Everything that we I don't like to use the word lose like we lose keys. Everything that leaves. Right. The imprint of love is there, but it creates a space and hopefully a larger space right. um, to love and to be loved. And when, when I was in therapy for, for our um, loss, um, my wife said, I had this space inside of me that has grown bigger. Mm. I was like, I'm not going to. I'm, we're not trying again. I'm done. I don't want to hurt. I don't want to feel that pain. Right. But there was something there. The, the, the possibility of love creates something in you. Right. And it doesn't have to be a child. It can be a relationship, an opportunity, a pet. Right. It can be love creates love. Mm. And I didn't think it was possible. Um, I didn't, but you know, when you're in that dark place and you, you, you begin to see a light, Mm. not just from outside, when you begin to see it on the inside again, or the possibility Mm. 
of light again, man, it's uh, um, dealing with my clients. It's a beautiful thing. Um, it's not big. Sometimes it's really small. Right. Um, then they figure out they don't need you anymore. Which, right. <laughs> which is fine. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> um, I had a lady, her husband died and um, she came to me for grief counseling. Mm. And she, you grieve who the person is, their identity, but also everything that they were. We call those secondary losses. So he was her protector, provider, her friend, her travel companion, her chef, her chauffeur, all of these things. And she said that he would, you know, do the toilet paper and change the light bulbs. And she said one day the the beeping for the smoke detector was going off and she had never changed it because he dealt with it all. And of course we stopped and we had to grieve that part, Mm -hmm. that relationship. And I said, well, what did you do? She said, well, my daughter had to go to work. And she said, I didn't want this freaking beeping to keep going. She's like, I had to figure it out. So she said she got a ladder after her daughter told her not to. Right. And she unscrewed the the metal detector, didn't need a a screwdriver and saw the battery. She knew where the batteries were stored. And she said she she um, changed the battery and put it back and pressed the test button. And she said she waited. (laughs) And then she said the light changed and she sat down and began crying. Wow. And she said, I knew everything he was to me, (laughs) but now I knew I could do something without him. And then a light came on. She never came back. She had came to see me for weeks. Wow. And when that happened, she was, she had what she needed. What a moment though. She had what she needed. Yeah. What a moment. And I think like in those moments when that light does go off, we begin to live again. You know, it's yeah. not saying that when we don't shed those tears that we're trying to forget the person. No, I think we do that in remembrance of them because of what they have been and who they are in our lives. But that's a newfound way to help her have more purpose and meaning Mm -hmm. is to say, it's not that you're just gone, but you're gone. And I've like, you know, I found a way to celebrate you in, in your absence. So whether it's changing the smoke detector, whether it's developing my own, savviness in the kitchen um all of those things that he was it doesn't erase it but he you know it's still that those memories and moments are still there but you just build on top of them and that's what therapy does it's like we have these blockages um beneath the surface and you you know, when we're, um, when the, when those tears well up, when our throat gets lumpy and we push it down, it's going to come back. It's like the whack-a-mole game right? at, right. at cheesy. What is it? The cheese, right? cheese, something, whatever it's called, Chuck E. Cheese. Chuck-y. When you hit it, you know, the thing pops up somewhere else right. and you go to hit it and it pops up somewhere else. That's what emotions are. You try to push them down, but they're going to pop up in your anger. They're going to pop up you being irritable. 
you comfort eating, right. Joseph. <laughs> um, and what happens is we go through these cycles mm-hmm. where we're coping and seeking solutions for this pain instead of processing it and talking it through with someone who's trusted and someone who's competent. And you said um, a good word, trusted and competent, because, I mean, it's good talking to your friend, like, hey, I've gone through this loss, you know, I'm going through it. But sometimes our friends and our loved ones, they don't know how, like, you know, to just sit and listen. Like, they don't know how to feel that discomfort when we are feeling discomfort and make it their own. Because, you know, no one, like when we're in a space where people are talking and then it falls silent, you notice people just talk or fidget just to fill the room. Um, The same way occurs. So going to therapy really helps because there's this person, and I'm speaking from a therapist's point of view, because someone once said, man, like, you're so quiet. Like, why aren't you saying anything? I said, because this isn't my time. It's all about you. It's all about you sharing what's on your heart and maybe the disconnect with those thoughts that you're having so that we can learn to see, okay, what are those core beliefs? What are you, you know, like trying to stuff and not allowed to come to the surface? And like you said, it's that whack-a-mole where those thoughts are going to keep coming. Um, I was listening to a book in the car the other day and it was talking about mindfulness. And typically I talk about our thoughts being like a carrot, like a rabbit chasing a carrot. (laughs) That's how it is. But this one author said it's like a monkey swinging from limb to limb. And I never thought about it that way. Like, you know, just going from limb to limb, just on a journey, trying to get to its next destination. And in order for you to stop that monkey from swinging from limb to limb, you have to accept what that monkey is doing. They're swinging from limb to limb. That's just what it is. Um, And oftentimes we try to stop it. We try to stuff it. Um, We want it to, we want to place it in a place where we want to put it in the back of the closet. And it's like, no, it's going to come back and keep swinging until you address it. And, you know, um, when you when you get into medications and um, psychosomatic reactions to grief and trauma, you realize that pain is your body saying something, right. and w- the we can numb it by processing it. We can numb it with drugs, and the drugs block the receptors to the brain and everything. But it's for how many hours? Right, it's temporary. And. I, when I was crying in my sleep, I'm like, whoa, my, my subconscious and unconscious is grieving. Right. I'm like, I, I, I need to, I, I need to get help. Right. Um, and my, my <laughs> we both did, but you have to when I was a bereavement director and a, and a bereavement counselor, I would make a hundred calls a day mm. to do bereavement assessments. 80% of people don't need you or want you, mm. but when tomorrow comes, right. 
the first Friday before Thanksgiving break, when Monday comes, when the weather begins changing, you know, maybe I need to talk to somebody. We're going to be getting more. Um, I would get more people answering around the holidays because the reminders, the triggers creates opportunities for you to process what you've been pushing down. Yeah. And for some people, it's either the first holiday without their loved one as it relates to people um, or it's going to be the last and so one of the things we we recommend to to families that are on hospice i did it tonight right celebrate all the holidays at the same time so they had a thanksgiving christmas a thanksgiving tree i love it next to a christmas tree and the grandkids are coming in you know, have two outfits, right? You know, <laughs> ugly sweater, some jeans on. Yeah. Do it. Um, because the person, the loved one who came home, they came home in an ambulance and they wanted to see the lights. So the son came home and put all the lights out because Christmas was his favorite holiday. He's never going to see that again. Mm because he's never going to leave the house again. He will. Well, it'll be someone else um, taking him out. But, you know, live in the moment. If it's the last holiday that you're going to have with your loved one, or it's the first sense. And here's the truth of the matter. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. The only day we have is today. Hmm. Whether if if you're four years old, 40 or 84, Hmm. today is the only day that we have. And when when I I've been dealing with grief my entire life (laughs) since I was two years old. Um it's hard to live in the moment and experience the moment if you don't understand yourself, if you don't accept yourself, if you're not aware of yourself. And so much of my life, I I was focusing on what's next. Some of it is my personality, but focusing on when I get to the next destination, when I get to the next grade, when I get the next relationship, when I get the next job, the next holiday, and I wouldn't live and experience the moment. I think that's how life conditions us because like the holidays, when we go spend time with our loved ones, They're asking us about the next. So, Joe, when are you going to have another baby? I'm like, well, can I just love on this kid (laughs) right now? Um, Or when is your next promotion? Or when is your next this? So I feel like in life, we don't embrace enjoying the moment and saying, hey, let's have some kind of meaningful conversation today. Let's not even take it past when's your next vacation. But (laughs) how are you feeling right now? You know, how can I support you right now? Like, what are you enjoying about this space? How do you like, you know, maybe what's on your plate and what you're eating right now versus trying to live three years down the line? Because we don't even know what's going to (laughs) happen literally tomorrow, today. Um, One of the things I I ask my patients to practice um, being connected to the moment 
you know, what, what inspired you today? What made you smile today? What gave you feeling of joy today? Or for those that are religious, you know, where did you see God today? Right. Um, so they can think about, you know, now. Um, and, and it really helps ground you. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've, I've lived here. I've been here in Florida for almost six years and you know as an adult you're like man when's payday right <laughs> every day I would. how many times have i sat on my back porch and watched the sunset mm. i'm like oh no i gotta get to this email i gotta get to this thing and i gotta do this prepare for tomorrow how many times have i been to the beach to put my feet in the sand mm. um so I, as I get older right. and I, I have, well, I believe I have more sunrises and sunsets in the future than I've experienced, right. God willing, but I'm like, how much of my, how much of my life right. have I not experienced the moment and experienced joy and, or as Brene Brown said, dared greatly. Right. Because of unresolved grief. Right. And I, I can be honest and say, I'm great at helping other people process their grief. But when it, when it comes to me, of course. Oh, man. It's okay. easier to help a stranger. Of course. Because I just have to be on for 50 minutes or however long. Right. Um, for eight hours a day. But you ask me about something from nine years ago. Oof. My brother, mm. he, he died nine years ago. It's hard to say his name. When we talk, of, we just said, you tell your story and hear your story and right. feel your story. And you say the person's name. Right. When, it, when, the, when the way that they leave your life is traumatic and sudden, mm. it's hard. It's not impossible right. to process it. It's hard. And I've focused so much on helping others and making money and doing this, doing the things he did, right. ironically. Right. Um, I was in a grief support group processing his death. Hmm. And all of a sudden, my father got sick and died. Wow. So I'm like, you can't process two things at the same time. So I was like, you wow. know what? Let me focus on this. And I never went back to that. Mm. And it's, it's, I don't like to use the word need or have to, but I want to go back and I don't know if I'll ever get healing from that, but get some kind of recovery. Um, Well, you know, Joe, they say that grief, it comes in stages. I mean, healing from it. Um, and it's, it's a lifetime process. And that's, you know, you're, uh, you know, uh, in hospice and you work with this all the time. So I'm sure you've said this to many of your patients, but to your honor, it's like, it's okay to be stuck sometimes and to struggle through not knowing how to like say that name or to relive those experiences, to share that story, to hear the story, because 
like you said, it's like it was traumatic. It happened suddenly, unannounced. No one knows the day nor the hour. And at times we're going through that denial phase or we're angry. We are trying to bargain or we have those highs and lows with depression. And it's like that patient that you had who accepted and said, okay, I changed the smoke detector by myself. I get it. I know how to move on with this next chapter of my life. So you're going through your own phase, you know? Yeah. And I, one of my former managers, she, when I was going to see my father, when he was on hospice, she told me that she believes that a person when they're, when they're finished with their grief work, that's when they can transition. And she says, whether the person is alive when you get there or not, mm-hmm. they've done their grief work. Right. I'm like, wait, wait. So don't they have to talk that through? You know, you have to say the important things. I love you. I'll remember you. I appreciate you. I forgive you. Forgive me. Right. Um, th- those, those important things. Like, well, based upon personality and temperament and other things in in their life, sometimes they do that by themselves. Right. Between themselves and God. There's a difference between someone having peace with God, self, and others than you having peace with them. So my dad found peace with himself I didn't find peace with him, but he found peace with me and he had what he needed to go. Mm. I didn't. Right. I've got that in phases over the years of I've done that grief work. Um, And I, I, it was just a revelation for me that everyone is in their own process with their own grief and how they find peace with it all. There's a, you're in therapy. There's a triangle of a, um, a victim, a perpetrator, and a, what is a helper. Mm-hmm. And you can't gravitate towards one without creating distance towards the other. Right. For my father, he found peace with whatever his source of strength and joy and love was. It wasn't with me, right. but that's okay. That's why I tell people, I said, your grief, your bereavement and grief process is different than the other ones. And they might be unable or unwilling to help you on yours. Right. And you got to deal with that. How do you, how do you say goodbye and find peace and grieve the loss of someone who's not present or who don't want to join you in your process? Right. That's why you need a therapist and a support group. Right. Um, Because you need to find your path. The other person might not even be thinking about you. Right. They're at a different level. It was, it was mind blowing. So he did his grief work and was in his own process. And it had, it was related to me, but it didn't include me. Mm. And it was, it shocked me. I'm like, well, he has to say all of the important things to me and I have to say it to him. And then we're going to sing Kumbaya and everyone is in their own process. Um, And he, he found that peace. And (laughs) that's what it's about. It's, it's about finding peace and 
being able to walk in it because at the end of the day we're at different speeds yeah i mean i want to say that like i'm a learn like i i feel like i read a lot i know enough but there's some things that i'm still trying to figure mm-hmm. out in life <laughs> always um and as i'm like understanding how life can be so complex as much as I want people to be on the same level or I want to be on the same level as people, we're moving at two, three, four different speeds ahead because of our own lived experiences, what we've gone through, our past, what we've accepted, what we've let go, what we're okay with, um, all of that plays into part. So, man, that, that's, that's a really, really powerful story, Joe. One of the things you see, especially around the holidays, and we've even, we've even seen it in movies um, in my family dealing with this now, because my dad lives in the house that his parents lived in and his mom um, died in. You go to, you gather the strength right. to either host, which yeah. you have that kind of energy, you know, but sometimes people being busy and doing the things they always did um, gives them strength, but you go to someone's house and they didn't change anything. Mm. You're like, Oh wow, they're stuck. And then you go to someone's house and everything has changed. And then one person just flips out. You're like, you took so-and-so's thing off of the nightstand or off of the dining table and then an uncle comes up and be like you know what that's okay it's been six months another person said but but it hasn't been a year everyone is at different stages yes they are and under the same house at the same table (laughs) one person will be talking about you know 1995 right and another person will be in 2005. And another person is thinking about, you know, next year. Right. They're all at different stages. And um, I think we have to normalize that. I think that we uh, want people to be at our stage or we want people to suffer with us. Like, no, if I'm uh, suffering and if I can't even talk about t- 2005, then you must suffer with me. And it's like, no, nah, we got to let up on that. Like, because that's not fair. That's not realistic. Um, yeah, and I don't think that's like something that we should put people through in order to like live in their own truth and walk in their own path. So, yeah, like it's hard to say that that's easier said than done. And that's why it's so important for people to go to therapy, um, to process this complex grief. It's important for you, as I'm hearing you say, to be surrounded by a community of people that will love you, embrace you, that won't get tired of hearing you tell the same old story about your loved one that you always tell. Um, They'll sit there and just listen because maybe you need that in order to get through that moment. Um, I mean, I can go on and on. Being in the here and now, the importance of just being able to process maybe what that laughter was like. What was your win for the day? Um, man, what was that news story that caught your eye? Who made you like, um, smile today? All of those things do, they do matter. And then I also heard you say that, man, we, we talked about it. Everyone is different. Like, you know, grief is not just something you do 
in these five stages in five hours, but it's a lifetime. Grieving a loved one, um, losing a loved one, it's a lifetime. So I really, really appreciate you, Joe, for coming through to the podcast and just sharing with us, like, just how to cope with grief and loss during the holidays. We acknowledge that, you know, for some people, it's not going to be easy sitting around that table. Um, it's going to be hard listening to some of the holiday music or. Oh, yeah, yeah it's going to oh. be hard. Let's take a step back and pause right here for a second. Before I let you go, I want to lead us into a grounding activity just briefly. I want you to begin to breathe in and breathe out. Let's do this a couple more times. Breathe in, breathe out. At your own pace, at your own rhythm, breathe in, breathe out. And wherever you are, begin to picture yourself in your happy place. You know what that looks like. Now think about eating your favorite meal. You're seated at a table with your favorite people. And you're having some amazing, meaningful conversations. All right. I think we're grounded now. I think we're back to our center because, man, that was a lot of heavy information right there. But I believe it's therapeutic for anyone who may find it hard to navigate the holidays without your loved one. Maybe it's your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, maybe a friend. But this is just a reminder that you're not alone. There's someone out there. They're going through it, yes. But I hope this information is helpful and it's bringing some healing in your life even now. So I want you to come back next week for our second part where we dive a little deeper into the healing process, the realities of grief and how to cope with it during these holiday seasons. Thanks for tuning in. Ciao. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the A Dosage of Lindsay podcast, home to conversations of the soul. I hope you enjoyed our time together. Drop your comments and feedback in the comment box below or send me an email to share your thoughts and your honest reactions. Remember, rate, subscribe, and share this podcast. And make sure you follow me on social media, Twitter, and Instagram at a dosage of Lindsay. If you want to email me, it's a dosage of Lindsay at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Ciao.